I'm Eileen Dunn and this is The God Slot. In the early 1990s, Christiane Bakker became one of the very first presenters on MTV Europe. For years, she lived and breathed the international music scene, quickly gaining a cult following among viewers and becoming a darling of the European press. Rubbing shoulders with the likes of Mick Jagger, Bono, Bob Geldof, Jim Kerr, Take That and Cat Stevens, Christiane was catapulted to the forefront of popular culture, but then all changed. Through a fateful meeting with the famous cricketer Imran Khan, Christiane travelled to Pakistan, where she encountered a completely different world to the one she knew, the religion and culture of Islam. She's written a book about her life and experiences. It's called From MTV to Mecca, and she joins us now from the BBC studios in London. Christiane, you're most welcome to The God Slot. Thank you for having me. We're also joined by one of our regular contributors, Fardu Sultan, originally from the former Yugoslavia. Until the Bosnian War drove her from her home, she settled in Ireland with her mother and she's now an Irish citizen and a devout Muslim. Fardu, you'll contribute to the conversation as well. Hopefully, yes. And thank you for having me. Christiane, it all seemed to be going so well. To an outsider, it looked as if you had it all, but there was a lot of pressure. And there was some emptiness or loneliness. Yes, uh, there was something missing and I couldn't put my finger on it. You know, I thought it was uh, a partner, a soulmate. But uh, truthfully, you know, with hindsight, no human being could have filled that void. Only God. And God was not a feature of my life at the time. Tell us a bit about your background. You're German. Yes, I'm from Germany, from Hamburg. And... Um, I came to London in 1989 um, as the first German MTV presenter. Just before that, I actually did a, an education as a radio journalist. So I started out on the radio and I still really liked the radio. So then, of course, my life changed and I was new chick in town. I interviewed so many pop stars suddenly, you know, and hung out with them at night even, you know. We, we partied at night and then the next day told Europe what was going on in the clubs in London when we bumped into George Michael or whoever else it was. And, uh, you know, and so it was uh, quite a life. We worked hard and partied hard. And, yeah, so eventually I did have a crisis, you know. I don't know if it's called Paradise Syndrome, but... Um, I didn't know why I was doing what I was doing, you know, and I was on my way to Belgium to host another massive music show and I really didn't feel like it. I thought if the plane crashes, I couldn't care less, you know, I'd reached that point. It was shortly after that that I took a holiday and then I met Imran Khan um, at a dinner party in London who was a Muslim and who had a very contrarian view on subject matters we discussed relating to popular culture. Uh, this film had just come out, Basic Instinct, and it was very provocative. And everybody else thought it was a great film because it showed all these scenes that had never been seen before. And um, he said, this would be banned in our country, you know, uh, the West has lost its, its sense of shame. By the way, there is a big trend and the Daily Mail captured it called the pornification of popular culture. And it's it's quite a negative, shocking trend. Um, religion sort of featured a little bit. I was a Christian. I went to religious school. I was brought up as a Protestant. But um, it wasn't really that much part of my family. And uh, as a teenager, I just abandoned it all because, you know, the church didn't speak to me anymore. They 
started having um, uh, ballet performances and, and rock concerts in the churches uh, to, to draw some young people. But that doesn't really turn you to God. And then when I met Imran, he, he was the one who pointed out that we all have a soul, you know, that there is a spiritual dimension and beyond the material, what we can see and touch. So what was it then that attracted you to Islam and to the Quran rather than reverting to your Christian upbringing? I was captivated by what I read, you know, and I was just um, so astonished to find, number one, so many similarities, you know, to, to see that Jesus plays a great part in the Quran, that uh, there's a whole chapter on Mary, you know, all the prophets, all the biblical figures, you know. So really, Islam is like a continuation of Christianity. You know, and the concepts I read, um, the fact that there's one God, Tawheed, it's, uh, it's the Arabic name for this concept, you know, that God is our destiny and our source and is omnipotent, all-powerful, yet within each and every one of us. I'd like to bring Fardus in for a second, Fardus. Can you identify with that path? Did you grow up a practicing Muslim or is it something that evolved too as you got older? I can truly identify with, uh, with uh, Christiana there. Um, I was born a Muslim, but I wasn't raised a Muslim, if you like, due to the socialist and prohibition of religion. Um, so I was extremely ignorant of all of the uh, entire meaning of the religion, um, the purpose of life, how to, even how to pray. I've learned, I've only learned here 10, 15 years ago. Um, so I, ha I was completely ignorant. So I can fully now, now that I'm practicing Muslim, I can I can wholeheartedly agree with everything that Christiana has, uh, uh, um, has said so far. Because yeah. when you realize that... Um, you know that God is one, and that you know um, there uh, everything that you do has a purpose. Uh, everything suddenly has the meaning to the life. You do your best, and you put your f you put your faith in the God, and you do your best, and that's it. If it happens, if it happens, <laughs> it's inspiring how different people give us that open the door for us, and then we find the light. One of you the know, people, and, um, Christiana, that inspired yeah. you was Gay Eaton, who you also met through Imran Khan. Talk to us a bit about him. Gay Eaton is a, a writer and he wrote wonderful books. Um, so I got to know him first through his book, Islam and the Destiny of Man. And later on, he wrote another really wonderful book, um, The Re Remembrance of God. And because he, we loved the book so much, um, we wanted to meet him. And uh, so Imran arranged this meeting and, um, you know, after we split up, um, I sought out Gay in the mosque. He was working at the um, London Central Mosque. And we be became closest friends. And he was like, he became my intimate um, like advisor and like almost like a spiritual father or grandfather. He was, you know, quite old. He died at the age of 89 in 2010. And um, and we had this uh, friendship that helped both of us, you know, um, and inspired both of us. And um, you know, he was he was a diplomat, former diplomat, a trained actor, um, Cambridge educated, you know, very uh, elegant, and he had such great empathy and love for everybody, you know. And I always took his advice, and and and, and he taught me 
this sort of intellectual and spiritual approach to Islam. And he guided me towards actually a spiritual order as well. So thanks to him, I got to know a spiritual, a sheikh, in fact, whose book I read before, What is Sufism? Um, so you see, so Sufism is, is the spiritual dimension, the inner dimension, the Islam of the heart, um, you can say, um, you know, uh, that that uh, of of Islam and uh, like there's a spiritual dimension also to Christianity. You know, it means you do more than your five daily prayers. You know, you try to be conscious of God at every moment in your life. You you remember God more. You do dhikr. Dhikr is uh, meditation. It's remembrance of God. And, um, you know, you try to have God's name on your lips all the time. In fact, there's a beautiful, um, The Way of the Pilgrim, a beautiful book uh, um, written by a Christian mystic you may have heard of, a Russian Christian mystic, mystic called uh, The Way of a Pilgrim. And that uh, simple person, that that pilgrim, he always has the Jesus prayer on his lips, you see. So it's that kind of thing. You do extra good deeds uh, and, and you come closer to God. Um, Fardis, so, is that something so, that you would embrace? Well, all that Christiana has said, is, I, I wouldn't ex- I say that it's exclusive to Sufism. I think it's no. when you fully embrace Islam, um, when you understand it, you want wanted to touch all spheres of your life you 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 purify you make sure that all your intentions are for the sake of god and uh, that yes. you everything you do you do it in the best possible way and for all of your actions you're fully responsible for and you are going to be judged upon so i'm fully responsible for what i do and if i lie as well i'm responsible for that so even white lies are not accepted uh, right. so i try to be diplomatic but i have to say the truth um yes so uh, and we uh, I try uh, we also try to in all our actions we try to remember God and we do thick and that is thicker as I would see it and at the end of each prayer we would do uh, I um, I would I would do as well thicker um, uh, or remembrance uh, certain things that you say that glorifies God and brings you closer closer but I would try to limit myself to not uh, not practicing what hasn't been practiced in his his time even though it has done it with the best intention to get closer only because there um, uh, sometimes we're not not all of us are professionals we're not all scholars and um so we we uh, the, we always have the best we have the best example in the in the prophet muhammad so whatever he has done we should try our best to do ourselves and whatever he exactly. has shown away from we should do so certain teachings of sufism um i uh going uh, trance and that prayer I I um I wouldn't really fully ac- fully accept myself. No, I wasn't talking about that as well. Oh, I right. meant, you know, an orthodox mm. not at all, you know, and that is the misconception. You know, there's a saying, famous saying from the 11th century that is um, you know, at the time of the prophet peace be upon him, Sufism was a reality without a name. Now it is a name. It is a name without a reality. And this was said in the 11th century. So imagine where we are now. Mm. So, you know, so basically, you know, it's as you said, as we already said, it's meaning living a good, clean life. And this is what, in fact, we should all be mu'mins, not just Muslims, mm. but, um, you, you know, believers uh, rather than just ordinary Muslims and, and go through the motions. You know, it's like having this God consciousness. That is really what it's all about, you know, and 
and and Islam is a is a character reform, as a constant character reform. You constantly reflect, you know, have I done this right? Am I am I doing this for the sake of God, or am I doing this for you know any worldly gain or, or against God? It's fine to have worldly gain, but not fine to cross the line. For example, I'm now in business. It's really hard to find ethical business. You know, business without where there's no corruption involved, where there's no you know no no harm, no you know where ethics are practiced. People circumvent you, people betray you, people lie, people cheat. You know, people just have no uh, ethics, and it's very hard to even find for ethical people in business and ethical business transactions. Well, bring it back to your MTV days, because once you decided to go down this path, it started to impact on what you were doing then. How did your life change materially? Yes, I was, you know, when I first met up with Imran, he I, I turned up in a mini dress, you know, and he asked me to keep on my coat all night if I wouldn't mind because we were going out with some Pakistanis and Indians and in his culture, um, you know, people don't show flesh and uh, they dress modestly. And, you know, here I was at the forefront of the entertainment business, if you've got it flaunted. And I now was confronted with the concept of modesty and thinking about it. I realized, yes, perhaps it is degrading uh, for women to always show their body, to get places with their, you know, showing showing off their, their assets <clears throat> on in the advertisements to advertise any kind of product with, you know, with their allure, you know, their sex appeal. And we were saying earlier, you know, this new this trend that has gone further and further, the pornification of the fashion industry, of music, of uh, film, film of popular culture in general. That is degrading to women. It's far more dignified to to be covered and and uh, you know I mean even just your body covered you know. To, nowadays I don't really wear show my cleavage anymore. I wear long skirts and long sleeves, and I feel feminine and more dignified. And so that was my very first change. I actually wore you know longer dresses and <clears throat> and so on. And how did um, that go down with your employers? <laughs> Actually, you know what? Grunge was the fashion at the time, or one of the fashion trends, so people didn't really mind <laughs> at all. You know, it was fine, it was fashionable, it looked good. And um, But later on then, when the hemlines went up, I mine stayed down, you know, and... I mean, nowadays you can really wear everything and anything and everything, you know, even, you know, you have this other trend where, you know, these tunics are, are in nowadays. I mean, I try to find a fusion of faith and fashion, you know, to, to dress according to my faith, um, a little bit covered and not, you know, showing a bum and stuff like that. But um, at the same time being fashionable, you know. And does that <laughs> change try. depending on which country you're in? Exactly. Of course it does, because what is uh, regarded as modest uh, in London may not be you know, regarded as, as decent, say, in, in Afghanistan or Saudi Arabia. I'm trying to find outfits that work everywhere. What about the reaction of your family? My family first wasn't impressed. You know, they didn't understand why I had to take up his religion if I wasn't getting married to him. But uh, they, you know, now they understand it benefits me. They, you know, see how serious I am, that it wasn't just another trend. And, you know, they, they want me to be happy. So, you know, they, they're, they're just happy when I'm happy and they're respectful. You know, they let me pray. They don't serve me pork. And they just let me get on with it and we relate on family matters, you know. And the reaction in Germany, that disappointed you somewhat, didn't it? Oh, well, yes. I mean, my family was all right. My friends respected me. That's, that was even better. 
But the shocking reaction actually came in the German public um, sphere, you know, the media. When it came out that I that I had an interest in Islam, I hadn't even converted yet. Um, I was suddenly from being this most popular MTV presenter, I turned into a public enemy number one. Uh, and very negative press campaign followed, you know, and they accused me of having lost the plot, um, supporting terrorism, you know, wanting to do my youth show from behind the veil, present my youth show from behind the veil. Stuff like that and, you know, uh, cut a long story short, within no time um, I was sacked. I lost my youth program, although they had begged me to host it for another year, you know, for months. And when this came out, suddenly the contract didn't count, although the ink hadn't even dried on this contract. So, um, you know, it was a very traumatic and very shocking, but, you know... In retrospect, in 95, I guess I lost everything that wasn't meant to be for me for the future. You know, Imran married somebody else. Um, I lost my, you know, my pop culture and music career, which wasn't really in harmony with Islamic values anymore anyway. So, uh, you know, in retrospect, I can say good riddance and um, praise be to God, you know, all fine. It was a bit traumatic at the time. Um, but you learn through being challenged, you know, and I learned that through suffering, you know, the soul um, is being sort of cooked, uh, like Rumi says, like chickpeas in hot boiling water till they're soft, sweet and delicious. So you see, there's a beautiful hadith, beautiful, beautiful saying of the prophet, peace be upon him, that says, you know, a life for a believer is... Um, it's like a win-win scenario. Basically, he says when something bad happens to you, to a believer and he bears it with patience, it is good for him. When something good happens to him, it is a blessing. So you see, as a believer, you can't lose. <laughs> so everything is good. You know, Fardis, God I is see good you nodding your head there. Yes, I mean, uh, every, uh, so many things that uh, Christiana says, it's really, really resonate with me. Um, uh, that um, that uh, understanding of... Um, uh, of life and all the burdens and it says actually in Quran um, uh, in, in one of the surahs it said uh, do you think that uh, it uh, that when you say I believe uh, this is loose transliteration do you not um, do you think that when you say we believe believe you alone you have to be tested so once you do realize yourself your faith needs to be reaffirmed not only in your heart but with your actions and sometimes um, as you know as uh, we all ha we all have our own test our all, all burdens to bear um, and Christiana's test was loss of job and um, a lo uh, loss in a way relationship you know a contact with, with Imran as well so it, you really feel that coming when you're reading the book you really Sim not sympathizes such as lose it's not really um, doesn't explain the feeling so well but um you, you she takes you in a way to that journey so um you feel the pain um you share that suffering but as a Muslim, in a way, almost a revert, uh, I can identify. We all go through those tests. We all do something. But at, at the end, I think we come out, we, we believe we come out stronger. Or as the Irish saying, believe, see, it goes, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, and we know uh, God is good and this is good. We accept God's will without questioning. You know, we may rebel sometimes, whatever, but we accept it as the will of God. And this acceptance is also something that my faith has given me. And, you know, everybody is tested. People with no faith are tested. And I just wonder, how do they cope? 
You know, how, who do they have to cry to? Where do they get their hope from and their strength? You see, we get it from God. Christians, Jewish, whoever believes in God, we all get it. We believers, we get it from God. And uh, this is the most enormous, you know, uh, source of strength and hope and um, comfort uh, that I'm so grateful for, you know, that I didn't have before. You also write very movingly about your two marriages. Yeah, by the way, I've never been married in uh, in the state. I still, and I'm single now. I'm single for <laughs> most of my life as a Muslim. You well, know, actually, that nikah. comes across that you really would like to have a partner. Oh, thank you. I still do, you know, somebody who is uh, who is a Muslim, you know, I, uh, ideally, you know, and a good person, not just a Muslim by name. I mean, I have been married to a Muslim who was like a Muslim by name, but actually bad in his actions you know it's all in the book don't want to go into details now but uh you know so that has been one of the greatest challenges i must say you know and i just want to return to islamophobia because you also write quite movingly about 9-11 and the the reactions it it provoked in you and then what you saw happening around you Yes, absolutely. I was there in Los Angeles during 9-11 and stuck at the um, stuck for a week. You know, no plane was going anywhere. And um, and it prompted me to look into the idea of jihad, you know, which is often translated wrongly as holy war. What it actually means is a struggle. You know, it means effort, striving in the path of God. Um, so me not drinking, uh, or all the Muslims say not drinking, but as a convert when you are coming from a culture where you should be drunk every night for your, for work, um, you know, it takes a bit of an effort. You know, it takes an effort and a struggle to fight for your right to drink water. So, you know, or even keeping the daily prayers, you know, not having relations with men when you're single all your life practically, you know. All of this is an effort, and this is all a, a small form of jihad, you can say, an effort in, in the path of God. And um, so, you know, I, I learned so much. So all of this, these, these acts killing others in the name of Islam does not exist in Islam. It's, it's completely a perversion of the religion. And, um, you know, because there's also a famous statement in the Quran that says, if you kill one innocent soul, it is as if you kill the entire humanity. Fadus, again, I see you nodding your head. That's right, actually. I was thinking of making reference to the same, actually, Quran, Quranic um, verse, um, because that is stuck me such a, it's a, such a, has a profound meaning that whoever kills a per, one person uh, as if they, is um, guilty as if they've killed the entire humanity. And likewise, whoever saves an innocent is as, as if they've saved humanity. Um, and really, terrorism has no origins in Islam. We're running out of time here, but there's a couple of things I want to come back to there. You mentioned the Prophet and his several wives. You draw the line at polygamy. Well, look, how can I draw the line at polygamy when it is something that is allowed by God, you know? So, however, there are restrictions and it is, um, you know, some scholars say that this verse uh, of polygamy, um, if you read it in context, it comes with such restrictions that, in fact, the Quran encourages monogamy and not polygamy. So, uh, so basically, you know, it's there is no license for men to marry four women for no other reason than you know fancy or passion or whim. That doesn't really exist. It's it does come with very special restrictions, and you know, most people don't meet that. However, you know. 
yeah, it's a it's a, it's an issue that I haven't quite finished, you know, debating in my head. Certainly, I would, you know, much 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 prefer to have one husband and be married to him, and and for him not to be married to anybody else. Of course, Fadis, do you have a view on that? Well, I mean, polygamy uh, is allowed in, in Islam, but there, are, as Christiana says, there are certain very strict criteria. But uh, and having one wife is in, encouraged. But like in in everyday walks of life, there are some men who prefer to have mistresses and uh, and women at the side, if you like. Really, be, in Islam, we believe that that is mistreatment of women. If you, yeah. if one woman is not enough for you, well, then give her all the rights, all the benefits, then look after her and marry her. Don't do something and a sly, and a sly. So in that regard, it is allowed. We, you know, uh, uh, it's it, as as a Westerner, if you like, it is a uh, difficult concept, but I fully accept it. And I prefer if someone is going to have more wives or more women, not, you know, to give them full not rights, to not secretly. to treat them, not mistreat them. Because so I think in that regard, you know, if uh, if they if they need to, then please give full treatment, full full rights to the woman and the, the children that might be born in, in, in that marriage. Accept them as their own and so forth. Look after them. Exactly. Okay. And, you know, you mustn't forget also it could be the, um, a solution to a social problem that we have because there are far more women. And I know so many beautiful, talented, you know, wonderful women, all single. You know, there's so many women single. Perhaps, you know, this is a solution to a, to a problem that the, the world faces, you know. Christiana Backer, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Fardus Sultan, the same. The book is called From MTV to Mecca. It's published by Arcadia Books and we'll put details on our website. And that's our programme for this week. If you have any comments on this or any of our programmes, the phone number is 01-208-2039. Our email is godslot at rte.ie and the postal address is the Godslot, RTE Radio 1, Dublin 4. Until next week, at the same time, Sláon Ispanacht.